You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28. One thing about being a a pastor and coming and preaching every week is that when you have a bad week and you fumble over some words, you get a chance to do it again the next week. So that's where we're at. In Genesis chapter 28, we're going to pick up reading in verse 10. If you would, stand with me as we honor the the reading of Scripture together. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, and I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in your, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his dream and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, as we reflect on on those words, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the gate of heaven. Lord, I pray that you would help us, guide us, give us understanding. That we would see what Jacob couldn't have known. That he was speaking of the Messiah. That he was speaking of the Christ who would come and deliver his people. In whom all the the families of the earth would be blessed. Lord, we pray that as we tackle this text in the Old Testament. I pray that you give us understanding. I pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read somebody the other day that said that all human religion, including Christianity, humanly speaking, is summed up in a single idea. And that single idea is the idea of ladder climbing. And the idea is that there is a ladder, a metaphorical ladder between heaven and earth, 
And one starts on the ground, and in one way or another, they start climbing that ladder to get to God or to find ultimate meaning in life or what have you. Writing about theology during the time of the Reformation, one theologian identified three kinds of ladder climbing in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. And I just mentioned this because I want you to see that these types of of ladder climbing that were around during the time of of Luther, that he was dealing with, these same things are still around today, not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but in our evangelical churches as well. And even by some very well-meaning but deceived pastors and teachers. Now, I say this at the onset here, first of all, because my purpose in bringing these things up isn't to jump on a a hobby horse and point fingers at others who are doing things wrong in the evangelical world. But at the same time, we recognize that it was important for Luther in his day to deal with the error of the church And it's important for us as well to be discerning when it comes to the mass amount of teaching that we are being bombarded with in our day. Now, the Bible is extremely clear on discernment. Let me just give you one text. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, the tendency for some, when they come to that reading of 1 John 4, is to think that one is testing the spirits in the sense of evil spirits and good spirits. But I don't think that's what John is speaking of here at all. In verse 6, he makes it clear that he's talking about discernment concerning the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In the first verse, John tells us that many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, there are those who are speaking truth, and that truth has its origin in God, in God's word. They are speaking on behalf of God, and there are those others who are speaking worldly things, masked as God's word, but are not. So it takes great discernment to tell the difference. And the fact that John is giving the warning there underscores the tremendous need for discernment in our age. Because it isn't always obvious. Which brings to a second observation, and that is that we recognize that when we point to ladder climbing in the evangelical church, for instance, that needs to be done in humility because we are all not perfect. I'm not perfect. I can fall into error. I'm not immune from falling into the trap, from ladder climbing in one way, shape, or form. The warning in 1 John 4 is there for me as well as you. So this theologian that identified the methods of ladder climbing or ascending heavenward to find the divine or meaning in life rung by rung in Luther's day, spoke of three different ways of ladder climbing, moralism, speculation, and mysticism. Let me just give you a a simple definition of those, and then we'll kind of go back and 
retrace our steps a little bit. Simply, moralism is the desire of the will to achieve perfect conduct. Speculation is the way of the, the mind, and it seeks to achieve perfection of understanding. Mysticism is how the soul seeks to achieve perfection by becoming one with God. Notice in those short definitions that moralism is an act of the will, speculation an act of the the mind, and mysticism of the soul. So we're kind of appealing to the different parts of the person. So what we are saying here is that just as these things entered the religion of Luther's day, they also have infiltrated ours, and there is a tremendous call for discernment on behalf of Christians. In our day, like no other, we are bombarded with a tremendous amount of teaching. I sent a text out to you this week giving you access to uh, Right Now Media if you haven't signed up for that yet. I mean, they're boasting uh, thousands and thousands of, of Bible studies by different teachers from all over the spectrum. Just using that service that we're making available to you is a need for discernment. We would be foolish to think that there wasn't all sorts of ladder climbing involved in that. Ladder climbing needs discernment because each of these ways promises in one way or another, one method or another to get to closer to God, to take a step closer to heaven, so to speak, to find true meaning in life. Of course, these ladders are everywhere, not only in religion, but in worldly philosophy, and that makes all of life about you. Van Dorn, pastor, says that ultimately these things that we call ladders in life are about what he calls the unholy trinity of fallen humanity. And that is me, myself, and I. When you're thinking about discernment and you're going through and you're listening to the Bible study and you're you're saying, man, this guy just is so me, myself, and I focused. It's a pretty big red flag. Let me just look at these three ways of ladder climbing for a moment, more specifically to see how They all have the the me, myself, and I at the center. We've talked about moralism before in terms of merit, which is opposite of faith alone. Moralism then is behavior that conforms to the law of God, his set standards in order to earn God's favor by them. That's what we mean by moralism. One might say that we are justified by faith, but then get caught up in moralism in this regard just the same. We're saved by faith, but we need to keep doing stuff to earn God's favor. I think the picture of ladder climbing here is very helpful. Are we doing something for the purpose of getting higher on the ladder? Some might say, well, wait a minute, pastor. Obedience is a good thing. God's laws are meant to be obeyed, and it matters if we don't obey them. I would say absolutely. (laughs) Disobedience is a sin. 
Sin is to be taken seriously by God, by us. But what we are saying here is that there is a danger in obedience that is for the expressed purpose of ladder climbing, or to put it in more evangelical language, that Jesus could just become a means to an end, which is becoming more moral, and with the aim to ascend a bit higher toward godliness. Jesus' purpose then in our lives becomes to, to make us more moral. That's moralism. And the question is, do we believe that Jesus that saves us from our sin, that came to deal with the biggest problem that we have, or one who is the archetype of the one we want to strive to be like. I'm not saying there's no merit in the second option. What I'm saying is that striving to be like Jesus, if that's how we pursue God and godliness, is to climb that ladder, we are missing something very important. And it's because we have bought into moralism. The second is speculation. Michael Horton calls this a, a fascination with the mysterious. In the West, we saw this in, in a movement called rationalism, which was a, a secularization of modern society. So rationalism is the idea that beliefs and theories and opinions and actions should all be based on reason and knowledge and not religious beliefs or emotional responses. We see this in the, in the abortion debate today. Those on the, the pro-choice side will look at pro-lifers and write them off because their conclusions, they say, are based on religion and emotion, and that has no place in the discussion. Of course, that's flawed and oversimplified. But in that sense, the pro-life position is written off in the marketplace of ideas before they've ever had a, a chance to make an argument. When it comes to a method of ladder climbing, what speculation does is it tries to, in the, in the Christian world, is it tries to seek God apart from special revelation. In other words, it's seeking to know God, know about God, apart from what God has told us. It's speculating. Third, there is mysticism, the mystical. This is what Michael Horton calls the miraculous. Now, where moralism appeals to the will and speculation to the mind, mystical spirituality appeals to the soul. It's an appeal to the emotional. It says that in, in some way, one pursues ultimate reality with God through emotional experiences and mystical insights. So here we're talking about the infiltration of New Age or Gnostic ideas into the Christian religion. And this is extremely prevalent in our world today. There's a, a podcast called Cultish. And on this podcast, they speak of, of cults and they interview people that have come out of these cults. I mean, it's extremely interesting. I would recommend, and I think I did in the, in the sermon notes, lately a large portion of their time has been given into the infiltration of new age spirituality into Christian, Christianity. And in popular evangelical Christianity, 
There's no wonder why this is so popular. One author said of the mystical that Hollywood sells it like candy and TV preachers cannot get enough of it. One popular TV teacher made a lot of waves in recent history and sparked quite a conversation by telling a a very animated story about how God told her to, to comb a guy's hair in the airport. Now, not to mention that anything that one learned from that story about God or from experiences like that are mere speculation because they happen apart from God's special revelation, but there's almost no way to construe the story in such a way that it is not ladder climb. That this person was somehow higher on the ladder because they had this mystical experience with God. And if you had some kind of experience like this too, you should listen to God because then you could too, but could be higher on the ladder. Now for things to appeal to mystical ladder climbing, there doesn't have to be far out experiences like this either. But we fall into this trap when we, for instance, plan our our worship services or do things that manipulate people's emotions. Sometimes people are far more concerned about the timing of of music, the the lighting, the effects, the, the fog machine, the whatever, than they are the gospel. Emotions are not a bad thing. God gave us emotions for a reason, And there are things that naturally do appeal to the emotions. I would say the gospel should do that. But manipulating people by appealing to them is dangerous. Sometimes people have been led to believe that they're not climbing the ladder and getting closer to God because their emotional heartstrings haven't been pulled like they had at one some other time in in their religious experience. I've I've never had that experience in in camp, like they had at camp again like that. Therefore, I must not be climbing higher on the ladder. I must not be getting more spiritual. God must not be as pleased with me. If one isn't moved by the mystical, I would suggest the story I mentioned before about the popular teacher was designed, and certainly the way it was told, it was for the purpose of moving the emotions. And I would go as so far as to suggest to manipulate them and even move people. Emotions are powerful, and for the one that holds them in their hand, they are a powerful weapon. And they sway people by saying, intentionally or unintentionally, that if you do not have these mystical experiences, you're not climbing the ladder, and you're not moving closer to God. Therefore, what you need to do is you need to seek these experiences above all, because then you can go to the next rung on the ladder. At this point, we need to think about Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, we read of a dream that Jacob had of a ladder extending between heaven and earth. I mean, there's been countless songs and and movies that have been used. They use this title in one way or another. Lots of speculation exists about the ladder and, and what it all means. After all, dreams are not always the easiest for people to find meaning in. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob has this dream. In that dream, he saw this ladder that was on the earth. It reached to the heavens. There were figures that were going up and down on it. They were angels. The Lord is standing above the ladder. 
And he says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And then God gives the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob. And Jacob wakes from his dream, realizing that God is in this place. He says, this is the house of God, gate to the heavens. Isn't it interesting? I mean, just, just think about it. I mean, even Jesus calls himself a narrow gate. It's fascinating, isn't it? We can realize how he would wake up and, and say, boy, this was a, an amazing dream. Surely God is in this place. What exactly does it mean? What's the ladder? A lot of interpretations of this have been allegorical. Some, in, mostly in, in Judaism, realize uh, that the numerical value of the, the ladder and Sinai are the same. So the idea is that the ladder here symbolized the law. So you get closer to God by keeping the law. And one can see that interpretation. If that was adopted, that would really adopt a, a system of, of merit. And the Pharisees in the New Testament certainly thought this uh, in some way. Some Christians understand that there are ideas here that involve uh, ladder climbing one rung at a time. They apply this to, to spiritual disciplines or, or something like that. And it really lends itself to moralism and, and mystical ladder climbing. But I think rather than speculate on what the meaning of this is, we should let the scriptures help us. Actually, scriptures often interpret scriptures. They often interpret themselves. In fact, the New Testament gives some great help in understanding the meaning of this dream. If you would, just turn with me for a moment to the Gospel of John. We'll be there for a, a few minutes. I think that'll, that'll help. I think actually, if you, you turn there, see this for yourself in, in John 1.51. Here Jesus is talking to Philip and Nathaniel, and he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus is clearly saying that dream that Jacob had was prophetic and the latter was Jesus. There's no doubt that there was a lot of speculation to what that latter represented at the time Jesus was speaking. But here, Jesus clearly identifies himself as Jacob's latter. So in a sense, it isn't Jacob's ladder, it's Jesus's ladder. There's another verse in the Gospel of John that mentions ascending and descending in the same verse. If you flip over to chapter three, look at verse 13. This is interesting. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Of course, that reminds us of Jacob's ladder, just that that phrasing, descending, ascending. But Jesus here connects this text. So in, in verse 13, he connects Jacob's ladder then with another Old Testament story in the very next verse. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's not far out to connect Old Testament texts to Jesus. It's not betraying the text. Jesus does it all the time. But notice here that Jesus is taking and connecting the ladder in Genesis 28 directly to the cross. That's what he's doing. Jesus is saying effectively that the only way to heaven, the only way to God is the ladder. And this ladder isn't climbed through some form of of moralism. We don't get there by speculating about things. It isn't anything mystical or magical. We get to God through one source, the ladder, namely Jesus Christ alone. We get there. We believe in Jesus Christ, that when he lived, he lived a perfect life. He died. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay for our sin. And it is because of him alone that we are counted righteous. There is no other way. Jesus' interpretation is clear. There is no ladder climbing. Every effort at ladder climbing to God will fail because the ladder is Christ alone. And you must believe in him. Earlier in Genesis, there were people that wanted to build a tower to the heavens. We know it as the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. We read that there was a group that made bricks. They built a city and a a tower with its top, the heavens, to make a name for themselves. In that story, you see the, the unholy trifecta mentioned earlier, me, myself, and I. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be great. It was a form of ladder climbing, wasn't it? But the Lord was clear when he confused their languages and scattered the people over the earth, that he was sovereign, he was in control. The only name that matters is his. You don't get a grade for effort. We know this, but yet we over and over again in different ways have tried to to climb the ladder to heaven, to try to climb the ladder to find meaning, to find merit with God. God will be a little more pleased with us if we climb the ladder through moralism, speculation, or mysticism. We're often tempted and swayed to make these ladders about us. But the ladder is about Christ. As we think about Jesus' words in the Gospel of John here and his clear references to Jacob's ladder and how he identifies himself with the ladder and then ties the ladder to the cross, and says that only those who believe in him will be saved. And this is the, this is the heart of sola Christus, or Christ alone. There is only one ladder, and it is Christ alone. No one comes to the Father except through him. Ian Hamilton put it this way. He says, Not Christ plus the intercession of saints. Not Christ plus the seven sacraments. Not Christ plus the treasury of merits. Not Christ plus Mary. Not Christ plus my good works. Not Christ plus my reformed confessions. Not Christ plus my confessional preaching. Not Christ plus my evangelical obedience. Not Christ plus the church's absolution. We add nothing to Christ. 
It's the death of Christ on the cross that kills ladder climbing. That is really what is meant by sola Christus. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for a moment, down to verse 17. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Paul talking about exactly what Christ commissioned him for. He says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Notice, Paul's task was to take the gospel to these places. He realized that it wasn't the the eloquence in which he spoke. His, His task wasn't to be eloquent. It wasn't to move people's emotions. Because he realized that the way he spoke in the eloquence of people's words could actually serve to empty the cross of its power. wasn't about getting converts and numbers as if Paul measured success in the number of baptisms that were posted on the church wall, as some churches are accustomed to doing. Paul recognized here that these things are not bad in and of themselves, but he understood that they served to, or they could serve to obscure the gospel. The message is about Christ. It's about the message of the cross and the death of Jesus Christ for death-deserving sinners. Back in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, for a moment, verses 39 and 40, Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, remember, the Pharisees are steeped in ladder-climbing moralism. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That is an interesting text, isn't it? Pharisees loved the scriptures. There's nothing wrong with loving the scriptures. They loved the law. We're told in the Psalms all over the place. Love the law. But they thought it was through the law that they would find eternal life. They thought the Torah to be the ladder, but it wasn't. Jesus was the ladder, and Jesus clearly says here that all of the scriptures, the law included, was about himself, that they would not find salvation apart from Jesus Christ alone. In Luke chapter 24, specifically verse 17, three days after Jesus' death, there were some disciples walking to Emmaus. Jesus joins them. He rebukes them for being slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, pointing out that it was necessary that the Messiah must suffer and die. He then went back and started with Moses and all of the prophets and taught them the scriptures and how they all pointed to Jesus. Who wrote Genesis? Moses did. He could have been talking about this dream with them. So you remember Jacob's ladder? It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Messiah. This fact that Jesus makes clear to the Pharisees and then to the disciples on the road to Emmaus is something that is missed by a lot of Christians today. 
Just listen to a lot of the, the popular preachers and sermons and tell me that it's not about ladder climbing in some way. Do this, do that. If you can just take these five steps, if you can just put these into practice, then you'll be more holy. You'll be closer to God. You'll just, you'll have it together. If you want a, a better marriage, if you want a better prayer life, just do these things. It's all about you. Use Christ to better yourself. It becomes Christ plus something else. That's moralism, speculation, and mysticism. The problem here is illustrated in actually many of our Bibles right in front of us. I know it sounds strange, and, I, and I'm not the first person to point this out, but in many of our Bibles, for instance, when we were in John, the words of Jesus were in red. I understand why they did that. But at the same time, it does reveal a tremendous bias, doesn't it? And that is that Jesus only spoke those words in red in the Gospels. This is really a sad thing because Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who spoke to the prophets, who as one writer said that who met and knew the patriarchs and who took Israel to be his treasured possession. This is why Jesus is the word of God, not just little bits of it, all of it. Not just those portions in the gospel. Really every single letter in the Bible should be read. This is crucial because this reading of the Bible is the way that it's meant to be read. Or to be more accurate, it's the reading of the Bible, the way it teaches us to read it. When we have passages like this in the New Testament that help us explain and learn and know the Old Testament. Jesus Christ was the God of Israel who speaks both on his own behalf the letters in our Bible that are read, but also he is the God who speaks on behalf of the Father who sent him. Back to Jacob's ladder. In that dream, we are told that Jacob saw Yahweh standing there. And the point is that, and we know this from the Tower of Babel, that we can't ascend to him. We can't ascend to God. We can't get there. No amount of ladder climbing will get there. You can't be good enough. You can't be obedient enough. You can't have enough mystical experiences. You're not going to get there. Jesus makes this clear in the Gospel of John in the passages that we already looked at. That's why this talk of ascending and descending is so important. It's important because there is no ladder climbing that one can do to reach God. Yahweh must descend to us. John 3. Nobody ascends to God, only God descends to us. He came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know that he did this. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem about 4 BC. He lived a perfect life. He was completely obedient to God, to God's law, which means that he obeyed the law that was opposed on him in every respect. I heard it asked once, more than once, why did Jesus have to live so long before he died? Why didn't he just come and die? Yes, he came to die for our sins, but he also came as a perfect sacrifice. And he was shown to be that perfect sacrifice by his perfect obedience. 
But not only that, when one places their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, his perfect obedience is imputed to them and their sin is imputed to Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way of dealing with our sin problem. There's no other way that we can be seen as righteous and obedient in the sight of God. Christ is the only ladder to reach God. We don't get there through ladder climbing. It's Christ who descended to us, who lived a perfect life, died the death that we were to die, who was vindicated by God and that he rose from the dead, that we too might have life and hope one day. The only way to God is Christ alone. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.